If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're familiar with Non-League America. Steve Bailey is the vocal part of that particular partnership, and he took some time out to speak with me about all sorts of things. Steve is an invaluable voice in the Non-League American scene, and he has big dreams for the game in his country, as you might expect. We had to edit out a lot just for timing reasons, but there's still a hell of a lot to listen to. As ever, if you like what you hear, give us a share. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. The hat is uh, Lions FC, Jackson Lions of New Jersey, sent me an amazing, uh, like, care package, um, like, just unbelievable spread, like, jersey, hat, scarf, um, training top, short sleeve and long sleeve training tops, just unbelievable um, from them. They play in the Garden State Soccer League, they also play in the, the EPSL. So, um, you know, they're trying to do big things out in New Jersey mm-hmm. and uh, happy to, to share their content, as always. Like, everybody's content, I'm happy to share on the yeah, just non-American, the non-American, non-American Twitter. So. Yeah. What are you doing to deserve that? Just literally saying, hey, these guys exist. You've been like, because that's, that's a lot of freebies for a non-league. Yeah, I, I mean, it's probably like $200 plus worth Jeez. of free stuff. I didn't do anything specifically, just... They said they wanted to send it out, and I'm always happy to to share yeah. something. If people send me stuff, I'll take it. You know, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> You're not proud. Of I'm you. not really in the. I'm not. Really, I really am not looking to score freebies. I mean, you know, no shade. I know there's other people out there who are more like focused on that. Like, and I don't. I don't really do like kit. I don't collect kits, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, there are a lot of kit collectors. I have a bunch of kits because I do non-league America and I love soccer. And, you know, it. every once in a while, something catches my eye and I, I want a new one or, you know, but I have like 15 kits or something like that. Uh-huh. But I mean, it's probably not commensurate to my involvement. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Let, Let's do this properly then. What do you think is the best piece of merch that you've seen from a non-league club but yeah. i mean i have the himarshi fc jersey uh with mm-hmm. the state of florida map on it that's, that's pretty in sweet. that red and yellow himarshi colors which you know mm-hmm. himarshi is a phoenix club from the fort lauderdale strikers and they keep that red and yellow motif and it's icarus um the map is just like the front and the back and it's got all the detail of florida on it that's really cool that's probably that's the thing that's blown me away the most personally. I was Fair. motivated to to spring for that one. Um, I don't. Wear, I used to wear that. I miss wearing like all the good jerseys out in public because there's no nowhere to go in public anymore. You know. I hear <laughs> you. Know? I hear you. Uh, with, with, with a little bit of hipster swag of like I'm so cool wearing this. Do you think that clubs could be smarter in their merchandising efforts? Yeah, I think. Clubs should make a, a big commitment to having um, a great merch store. I don't think it requires a lot of upfront investment either. I think that there's ways to do it, to start small and build. Because I know, you know from Non-League America, the pitfalls of investing a lot in a run of merch and even a small run and then just you know, thinking the anticipation is going to be bigger than it is and just sitting on merch for long periods of time. Um, but that used to be the only option. But now you got, you know, things like Teespring and, mm-hmm. and you know, Goldsboro Strike Eagles uses Teespring. And I started doing a couple uh, items on Teespring myself. And yes, you don't get to keep all the profit. They take a bigger chunk, but you never have to hold anything. And yeah. um it's all, they do the shipping, they do fulfillment, they, you know, it's like I sell, I, before I would get a, a 
good profit margin on each item, but I would have to order a box of 50 and I'd have to hold that box of 50 for, I mean, best case scenario, uh, a year. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's gonna take me a year to sell through 50 items. And if we're not pushing it, there's a couple of reasons why we probably strategically made some mistakes and held merch for longer than we had to because we were reluctant to push it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of part of our authenticity positioning, <laughs> um, but to a fault. You know what I mean? But uh, if you think that you don't want to lay out the money, you can put something together like Teespring and a store and lay out nothing. And then if you sell a hoodie for 50 bucks, they end up keeping a total of around 30 and you get 20 bucks off each one. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when you calculate the, the costs of shipping and um, the costs of the materials. I was gonna be into a run of like 50 sweatshirts. I never ordered sweatshirts, we'd only order t-shirts. But if I did sweatshirts, I priced them out. And it was still gonna be like 12, 13, between 12 and $15 each. Yeah. So yes, I'm giving up margin, but I don't have to worry about any of it. And if, I, and if I suddenly started selling a bunch, well shit, I'd just shift off of um, Teespring and, and order you know, if it, it's a great test, you can like introduce new designs. And if mm -hmm. the demand is there, then you could always switch to a more profitable per unit setup, right? Yeah. Uh, if, I, if I'm selling 50 units off of Teespring, then it, and I do it within two months, then now, okay, that's an indicator that maybe I could do it myself and, and invest a little upfront for inventory. But if I'm not, then it's, it's the best situation, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. We've got to be as a as a unit as an entity we've all got to be smarter in what we do and share that knowledge right like people are the traditional way is buy it store it in your garage right that's and we did that i know we did that i know john's still got hundreds of t-shirts and scarves and what no, not scarves actually but hundreds of t-shirts um that you can't we can't get rid of um and yeah so things like teespring which allow clubs to lessen their initial outlay so like you say, like if, you, if you're selling it for 50 and you get 20 back, yes, it's a kick in the mouth because I want that other 30, but it's 20 bucks that you wouldn't have had at all otherwise, right? Right. And you don't have to, and all you have to do is upload your logo and yeah. take, they take it from there. So you got to really yeah. think about, you got to break down the costs of shipping, you know, the costs of, of the mm -hmm. total cost that it, it takes to get it out the door. And you, when you do that, you realize it's actually higher than you probably think. If you, if you really mm -hmm. do the analysis and break it down to the penny, yeah. you might think, oh, it's only, the original cost from the supplier was only $12 a unit or something. That's really aggressive, by the way. It's probably more like 17 yeah. or something. But, you know, and then, well, I'm shipping it. This is actually a sweatshirt now. So now it's going to, by weight, it's going to cost me $4 to ship this package. Now I'm at 17 plus mm -hmm. four. So now I'm at 21. And so let's say it's 21 versus 30. You know what I mean? And how yeah. many units am I doing? Yeah. I don't have these boxes. I don't have my wife yelling at me about these boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 for sure. Not to go out in the Illinois midwinter. And then you can, like and then you can um, focus your, and it's also, it occupies space in your head. There's so much thing, so many things to do, whether you're operating a club or you're operating, you know, a online platform um, like Non-League America or similar. Like there's a lot of other things you could be doing. And if you can just check off the merch box like that, it just seems to work well for me right now. Yeah, absolutely. And if it works for you, it's, there's no reason it shouldn't work for everyone else, well, some other people as well. Um, all good. I think we've all got to be smarter, right? We've all got to think outside the box in everything we do. We've been trying to launch soccer in this country for so long. Um, and it's caught on and it hasn't caught on, right? Um, that old, de that old definition of what the, the definition of stupidity doing the same thing the same way and expecting different results. And I've, I've fallen into that trap on a personal level too. You know, I've done the same thing for a long time. Um, but in the last like year or so, I've just been willing, opened my mind up and been willing to really take some more shifts. And I think the, the um, pandemic has accelerated that willingness to mm -hmm. break out of the mold and try something new. So. I'm really excited about that. So what, let's, let's go down that road then. What's, what's in the pipeline for Non-League America? Um, really a focus on clubs that 
don't get a chance to get their story told at all, or they're really kept within their immediate club communities. So a switch, you know, this has been something I've been talking about for a while, but uh, a shift from the clubs that are totally encapsulated within the kind of soccer Twitter bubble to mm -hmm. the wider population of clubs, you know, yeah. more ethnic clubs, more clubs in overlooked areas. Like it, a switch from Twitter to Facebook uh, and spending, I still spend a lot of my sending out energy, my, <laughs> my posting energy into Twitter, like the mm -hmm. vast majority, but my research energy and my uncovering new clubs energy is really in Facebook because that's where like the diversity of the landscape really lives. Yeah. I just am seeing so many more teams and tournaments and, you know, that underground, the cash prize tournaments, that whole uh, mm -hmm. scene, um, that's all like on Facebook. So yeah. I try to like cross populate a little bit and send links from Facebook over to the Twitter just to let the people who are in the, the Twitter bubble um, kind of get a peek into like that soccer underground Mm -hmm. um, because there's a huge disconnect between those scenes, right? Yeah. You got the Latino scene, um, the Asian scene, you know, the ethnic black scene, like African clubs, like mm -hmm. all these, the cash prize tournaments, you know, a lot of the, everybody's looking at these um, divisions between MLS aligned and independent like NISA and, mm -hmm. but, or independent clubs, or even, you know, Midwest Premier League, but that's all still under the U.S. soccer umbrella. But what is like the unsanctioned um, environment look the like? Where's fighting. the real, yeah. like, huh? The bare knuckle fighting under the seedy underbelly of U.S. soccer. Yeah, the seedy, yeah, the, the underbelly for sure. <laughs> like, you know, that Copa Mariachi tournament that has the $100,000 cash mm -hmm. prize. That was something that I learned about within the last year and saw the pictures from, you know, some of this is not, I'm not encouraging it, but I'm just telling you what is, <laughs> that even in the pandemic, there are probably some super spreader events going on, like, let's be real. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, like, even in the pandemic, but that culture is so deep, like, you know, in the Latino community. So, like, that, uh, that final at Atlanta Silverbacks Park last year had a few thousand people out there. Some right. big cash prize tournament down in Houston that was streaming online. Mm -hmm. um, had another massive crowd, everybody ringing the field just as deep as it was, you know, pre-pandemic. So yeah. I can imagine, you know, after the pandemic, it's going to be even deeper. So I've been following some of these, um, like, South Asian clubs, like, mm -hmm. like um, from, like, Nepal. And um, there's, like, a critical mass of clubs from like Bhutanese and Nepalese and yeah. um, in like Ohio. So I've been monitoring some clubs uh, from that community and they have a whole um, tournament that they've kept going through the pandemic and, right. and after. So I think that's kicking back up pretty soon. So I've been- In my, you know, in my head, I've got an image of your, the, the non-league America corporate office, right? Which is essentially your study, right? But um, you know when in, in TV and films when they try and depict madness and it's just these walls covered in black and white newspaper clippings with red bits of string going from left to right and up and down and chaos? That's what I imagine your walls to look like. Of just like this club going to this club going to... Yeah, it's more piles of stuff, like piles of books and stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, but I try to keep a lot of it in the closet, you know, and just at least like do a, a desk clear out every once in a while. I think this little break between, you know, my primary jobs, I'm gonna do cleaning and dusting on my desk. Uh -huh. Much to my, she's, my wife is over here saying gross. <laughs> <laughs>
from the recreational they do they put coverage on like literally like tuesday night recreational 77 Jesus. all the way up to like Classa, which is you know real competitive yeah. league so uh, and, and everything in between from the youth to the all the you know men's competitive leagues mm -hmm. the whole gamut so right. um i've you know, I'm not affiliated with them. I, you know, don't have too much contact with them. I'm just an admirer, you know, <laughs> for what they what they do. But are I'm they just like, are they Spanish language or is there an English language version? Spanish language. Spanish okay. language. No, yeah. Okay. So you got to have a little bit of Spanish comprehension to read yeah. articles. But I mean, you don't even. But you know, this is the world's game, and it's a universal language. Yeah. So when it comes to, they provide video highlight footage of all these games too and you don't need to speak spanish to oh. watch video highlights of soccer games and know? the result is a result so you, is a result right it's... right and so you you they provide all that coverage so mm -hmm. they'll have like edit you know five minute um video highlight edits 10 minute video highlight edits of like all these matches that some of the more competitive matches in like Classa and the league of douglas which is at douglas park there in chicago um and all the different uh different soccer leagues around chicago so they're like an inspiration to me as far as local <laughs> coverage. And when I started finding out about, um, I was really looking, I found it because I was looking for what is the closest soccer to me. Yeah. And also I got to give credit. I was on a referral from, um, from uh, uh, Adria, Right. you know, uh put yeah, me on to that yeah. this is what you're really looking for steve i know you're out here at these lonely fields because i was i was out you know checking out these lonely mm -hmm. uh, games with with 10 people at them which i love and that's part yeah. of the deal that's but my I, spiritual I home get. for sure yeah and i knew that wasn't all that the chicago had to offer i just knew there was something else out there so yeah. how does us soccer our level of soccer not mls although you know there's a conversation we had there how does regular soccer embrace or get over the cult the racial and cultural divides well you know some of it is going to that's a loaded question that's huge but <laughs> i mean but structurally one thing that could break down a lot of barriers you know people want to be Soccer is a vehicle for cultural preservation. Mm -hmm. There's there's positive sides. Of, We're all, I'm all for that. The Bavarians and all yes, of that go crazy. You know, yeah, education and, and some some level of self enforced segregation is is like good for the development yes. and preservation of culture. You know what I mean? But in terms of like bringing these Latino clubs into a wider system and and if there it would be a possibility of integration, there's got to be a real profit motive, and there's no space in the system for actual semi-pro soccer to mm -hmm. exist. And it's a term that's abused and people have talked about that ad nauseum in our, our you know, above ground uh, amateur soccer circles, but there's gotta be an actual semi-pro. Semi-pro can't be a misnomer for amateur. There's gotta be cash flowing in the mm -hmm. lower leagues and the cash is flowing unsanctioned because US soccer does not provide a place for that to happen. You know, we have to divorce the um, officially sanctioned leagues from the college system mm -hmm. and players who want to keep college eligibility, the, the PDL, the USL League Two, you know, to some extent NPSL, you know, model of amateur soccer is a place for college soccer players to play during the three months that they're not, you know, involved in the college. Mm. Um, no, that's not it. That's not, you know, players need games. And the only way players can actually develop, you, it's, you know, the USL League 2 used to call itself the player develop, the USL PDL, the Player Development League, right? Yep. Like, what? <laughs> what? The, you can swear. Can I swear uh, on this? Yes, oh, totally. Like, what the fuck kind of development do you think you're getting in 12 games a year mm -hmm. over three months? That's not development. That's yep. this little thing and the focus on players as opposed to the focus on clubs you know you know you guys have talked about that in other episodes you know people can go back and listen to much 
more intelligent conversation on that, you know, <laughs> club first versus player first, mm -hmm. because there's no profit motive for selling players, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you just got to participate in the game the way the world participates it, where there's a profit motive to invest in players, to sell them for cash, um, and to allow paying of players part-time, you know, 100 bucks a goal, 200 bucks a goal, 500 bucks an appearance. And it's got to be not under the table. It should be like above the table. Um, I know people want to play under the table to avoid taxes, but like whatever. It's got <laughs> to be a pro. Leg legitimately action. under the table, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be a semi-pro system mm -hmm. that um, allows for players to get paid to play soccer part-time. Yeah. And as soon as that is instituted, everything changes. And everything else is becomes much more possible. You know, there is no one single silver bullet, but that's a big change. The existence of an endorsement of semi-pro part-time paid soccer would fundamentally change the system. And if it was played all year long, right? In a yeah. full season, full season, semi-pro paid soccer. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Like to me, the of of the of in the current system, um, the regional, state, whatever you want to call them in our in our neck of the woods, the Midwest Premier League leagues, right? That's the the pinnacle, not our not our league per se, but that's the pinnacle of what we're calling amateur soccer. And then Nisa Nation, whatever they want to call themselves, is the lowest possible ever of, in theory, full time paid soccer. No, so Nisa a... Nation is going to be amateur too. Right. Okay. So then, okay. So they're the pinnacle. Then. Nisa, Nisa, yeah, yeah, Nisa, yeah. Nisa, Nisa Pro is going to be the lowest level of the right. paid. So Nisa Nation is going to be a incubator, from the Midwest. take yeah. amateur clubs to pro, but they're going to be amateur. Right. But in, in this, this theoretical world, then is that the level that you're thinking of as nominally semi-pro realistically? Given yeah, that that level doesn't exist. Midwest right now. Premier yeah. League and Nisa yeah. Nation playing 40 game schedules mm -hmm. uh, and paying, you know, 200 to 500 bucks a game to players. Yeah. That's that's what needs to happen. Right. And where that money's going to come from? Well, <laughs> if you're, no, but I mean, obviously, you know, this, it's all hard. None of oh, this yeah, is yeah. easy. And yeah. you guys have covered that in the podcast series. But where that comes from, well, there's greater value for sponsors if their name is going to be out there 40 times a year versus 12 times a year. Mm -hmm. So it's a different, it's a higher value sponsorship, you know, and companies are willing to pay if they know that they're going to get the exposure. It's on you to build that fan base. That's difficult. Yeah, yeah. And you've had other people speak more intelligently than me on building the fan base too, but like, it just has to be offering has to be there. And if the, if the product is there, that has that value, then you're able to charge more for it. Like you're able to charge more for 40 games than you are for yeah. 12. Like that's just a fact. And, and it's chicken and egg though, isn't it? And you'd be approaching different sponsors. Yeah, but then it, then it becomes chicken and egg, right? Because, and I'm playing, I think I'm playing devil's advocate because I, well, I know I am because I know I agree with you. But um, if I'm Bavarians, if I'm yeah. Maryland Bobcats, who we spoke to this week, right? Um, yeah. If I'm any tenured club of the th hundreds of thousands that you know that I don't because you've been digging through the Facebooks, um, I'm not going to jeopardise my club's 30, 40, 80-year history to join this new system when I can thrive within my ethnic system. I don't know if I'm sounding horribly racist. I, that's not my intention, but you know what uh, I mean? My, my, my cultural system. Um, for what? Right? Well, there's got to be... There's gotta be cash prizes and cash motivation from the federation level, mm -hmm. you know, reaching this tier. So it's got to, there's got to be a profit motive. So, and that's where, you know, thinking about like the parachute payments that clubs get from leaving, the, from getting relegated from the Premier League down to the championship and right. And they lose that TV money, mm -hmm. but they also get like this chunk of $40 million or something like that to, yep. to ease the blow. And that actually, and doesn't that trickle down quite a way in smaller increments? Oh, yeah, trickle being the opposite word. Yes, it does, in theory. Um, you know, my, my club being League Two and non-league, yes, it does, but it's a, it's a gesture, right? And what we know about Money Grab MLS is that there is going to be, it's going to be even more of a gesture. Well, see, 
ultimately it comes back to the Federation and MLS separating themselves and, and an independent Federation is what needs to happen. And the only way that's gonna happen is by people activists getting involved in your state federations. And the, if you look at the voting weight, it, it's, the system is rigged to, to Soccer United Marketing, MLS, USSF mm -hmm. control. But then if you look at the math, you know, if you would get all the state federations and the pro council, and that would be another difficult thing because the people put on the pro council are kind of handpicked by Garber mm -hmm. and, and crew. But if you could, you know, if players, you'd have to get, but that is the, the secret math, you know, works out. I mixed metaphors there halfway, <laughs> but um, like the combination of the state associations and the players together have enough weight to beat the some controlled entities in the board. Right. But you're talking about the there's you know 56 associations or something like that because there's more associations than there are states because some yeah. of them are divided and you know it's a it's a Herculean task but you know just to lay it out what is it that is the path yeah. would be okay. to change the federation from inside by a massive is politics yeah it's of course real it's politics, politics. It's, yeah I think like people say oh it's just politics is a way of talking about disagreements and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I'm talking about political power and organizing that's needed um, by to get people to run for positions yep. at the state associations that are of this mind. So really, in order to do that, there needs to be a, and I've been thinking about this lately, and I don't think people have articulated it as, um, as much as I, I like to see this conversation about the starting of a soccer political party right that that needs to be formed and that that's literally what it is a, a soccer specific mm -hmm. political party mm -hmm. that runs candidates and and has a cohesive platform for independence and runs these candidates in these associations because there's a lot of entrenched people and interests and and you know backroom <laughs> handshakes with mls and all that going on in those entrenched people. But a lot of those people who are entrenched and don't want to change are very old mm. and they're going to be dying soon. Like mm -hmm. just keeping it a buck. Like um, if you look at some of those, you know, leadership and some of those state associations, these people are, you know, septuagenarians, octogenarians. And so this next people of my generation, I'm about to be 40 um, and, and younger are, people, an independent voice from that generation needs to come through yeah. and, you know, organize this political party, which could run candidates through every single association in the country. And if you can do that, then there would be need to be a lobbying arm, which would uh, have this contact with the players associations mm -hmm. and then work, coordinate with the players associations to bring them on board to this, you know, political process. And that would be like the structure that could change things. Are you the man to make it happen, Steve? Probably not, you know, I'm just trying to, you know. <laughs> I'm just the ideas, that's fine. Yeah, no, but I think, you know, my role is just to be, a, I think as I've looked at it, like my role is to be a catalyst and to, you know, bring up these conversations and put plant ideas in the heads of people who have more time, more mm -hmm. skills. Um, you know, it's not about me. It's about like, what can I do for the greater good? So sometimes I love these conversations, but sometimes you think, oh, what's the fucking point, right? Can we all yeah. just go back to like, I mean, I don't know. I've only been involved for like four years, but um, and I'm not saying I'm involved at any level at all. But it seems to me that the soccer climate is healthier now than it's ever been, and maybe that's a you know a social media thing, and maybe that's a social media bubble. I don't know. But there seems to be more of a groundswell of 
grassroots than there's ever been. And I, I you know. Um, yeah, it's healthier than it's ever been, but you have but, to realize but, 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 how yeah. diseased it's yeah. always been. Mm -hmm. So sure, it's getting better, but I think it's just all, I take you know, heart in the fact that it's better than it's ever been, but it's a fraction of what it could be. Oh, for and, sure. I, and I don't want to, and I don't want to get delusional about what it can be either. I don't want to say, oh, soccer, the sport of the future. Oh, <laughs> you know, like all, all this bullshit. It, it is the sport of now. It just needs to, to have the structures in place that allow it to thrive because the, all these new clubs bubbling up are proof that the interest is there, but there's so many structural roadblocks to these clubs' success, mm. and that's what kills them, you know? So How I guess my argument to that is that is the interest there? I, mean, I dearly love the interest to be there, right? But this goes back to what you alluded to earlier that we've been speaking about in previous podcasts. I would say, okay, I hear you, but I would say we don't really know because a lot of the things that are necessary to find out haven't really ever existed, like a 40-game amateur season. Mm. Like, what exists is this 12-game season that is really hard to get, let people know about enough in advance, because people are going to, like, it's hard to get people out. So, you know, usually you, by the time people find out that you're playing and you guys have covered this better than other podcasts, but if you go with that college player season, that op, that short season that the NPSL and the, the, the PDL operate, like by the, people find out that you're playing by like the third game. Yep. And then they come by like the sixth game then yeah. oh, they want to come back, and they do. Like even even at small levels, you see this if you look at. It's hard to get you know attendance figures, but you you know, and you're involved in running a club. You know that some of your most attended games are some of those late games in the season mm -hmm. because that's when you people finally realize you got a soccer team going on. And as soon as they realize it, boom, it's over. August eighth or whatever, you know, it's right. over. You got Memorial Day to Labor Day. Like that's yeah. not that's <laughs> yeah. not doesn't give it time. For a community to you need to be an always on presence and you guys have talked about that from an operational backroom standpoint an always on presence mm -hmm. but um you need to be an always on the field presence so people don't have to come every week but yep. they know they can come every week right hey you know oh it's saturday night you know the boys are at home mm -hmm. uh, let's go check it out Standard. you know you need yeah. to be available for casuals to pop in and pop out of as they want to. And yeah. I think that if you, that doesn't, hasn't really existed in this country at the local level, mm -hmm. because otherwise you got to, you know, drive an hour to two hours to your nearest MLS team. Forget all my Don't structural hate of MLS, yeah. just, just fundamentally, right? Yeah. They're only in large cities. They're only, so you might, you may or may not be near one. It costs a lot of money to go to. It, it is there all year. Um, but it's not an e easy thing to pop in and out of. But yeah. if I have a local thing in my town that's always there and it only costs five or 10 bucks, and I know that it's always an option, that that's what hasn't existed. So yeah. I think that the Midwest Premier League and a lot of these other leagues, Nisa Nation, like, and the UPSL is the first, is really the big test case. They're starting to come up with it. Now they have some struggles in other parts of it, the branding mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But like the always available year round club is, that's the movement right now. That's what this movement is all about. The, the, that ties together the Midwest Premier League and the First Flight League and the OVPL. Mm -hmm. And well, I think maybe a little less the OVPL in the long season. I got to do more research on that. but. <laughs> The long, the long season um, community presence. Yep. That's the that's the game changer, and we'll see. And if nobody cares, nobody cares. But until you let that run for three or four years, give me four years of forty game seasons, yep. and then let's regroup and see what happens. All right, it's a pipe dream, right? And 
Not an unachievable one. I don't think that's a pipe dream. No, I'm not saying it's unachievable. I'm just saying it's 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 a thing that isn't going to happen without a seismic change, for, essentially from college, right? Because college right. is a th- yeah. how many how many games is the Midwest Premier League playing? I think we've got ten or eleven. Uh, yeah, let, I'm, I'm I'm gonna say ten home games. I think so. I think it's a twenty game season. Twenty game season. It's yeah. a start. It's know? definitely a start. Yeah. It's a start. And that's what a lot of the, in that 20 game season is a lot of what the local city league uh, mm-hmm. participation league, you know, leagues play. Um, but they because, have never been focused on marketing. So that's where, that's where it, you know, in building club brands, that's always just been a place for players to play. Yeah. And that's so what I, if you, if you adapt the availability of the local leagues with the marketing of the short season leagues, which mm-hmm. have been success, more successful in marketing. You know, there's plenty of cases, Little Rock, Asheville, you know, Chattanooga, yep. that's how they got started. Like to get those butts in seats, then that's that next thing. And like I said, there's no guarantee that it works, mm-hmm. but I, it's hard to believe that it doesn't increase your chances of success. Yeah, that's what we can do, right? I want to kind of change attack. For those who don't know you, Steve, you your daytime job, the one that pays the bills, you are marketing and advertising, right? Yes, I'm right. an advertising strategist. There you go, then. I, I, John and I are big fans of a podcast coming out of Scotland um, called the Scottish Football Marketing Podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. Right. But Jesus, right. if you haven't, you should absolutely listen to it. But they did a fantastic thing, and this is where you should start, um, called um, Marketing Club X. And they took this fanciful club that may or may not have been in the Scottish First Division. I don't I really don't write it, but it existed, right? I mean, it doesn't exist, but it existed. They weren't building it from scratch. And they were um, in their role in their roles as marketing and public relations and everything, they challenged themselves to grow the footprint of this mythical club. What would you do to, I don't know. Let's, we, you mentioned RWE Adria. Let's talk about them. We know for the, most people outside of Chicago won't know who they are. They're old uh, Germanic, no Croatian. 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 Yes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, Auntie. Um, old school Croatian club. Been around 50, 60, 70 years. Definitely historyed. Um, currently languishing in some horrible ass high school in South South Side. Have you been there? It's yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's, I saw the first time I ever met you. It was Adria versus uh, DeKalb. Oh, okay. So you've so definitely been there. Yeah. Um, but how would you? How do you go about getting their attendance into let's three figures and a national footprint? Act, I don't, and I don't know. You know, I don't know everything about them or what they're doing. Yeah, no. you know, I and it's unfair. It, I, I like, sprung it on you, right? Tapping back into their community actively, mm-hmm. you know, and not just they probably have a lot of languishing support and they probably have a lot of lapsed support mm-hmm. there was other times in their history that they had the hold of their croatian community so i think reconnecting with all their you know croatian clubs and um like not soccer clubs but yeah, like yeah. social clubs and yep. stuff like that you know churches like like literally mapping out what what does the croatian community of chicago look like now Mm-hmm. How has it changed in the last, you know, 20 years? And that's probably a lot of demographic shifts and people moving out of the city to suburbs and stuff like that probably have a lot to do with that. But like getting a, a close handle on that, having a lot of personal phone calls with people that you know through the years who, who are part of the community because they are the community, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so that's one pot. So I'd have like a team working on that the, and, and finding footage or if you don't have footage then finding all the people who used to be involved in the club and interviewing them and getting stories some video content talking about some of the exploits like oh in 1976 we played the you know Bavarians and there was you know it was a snowy day and there was you know 700 people there and and that's real i know that those events happened and took place you can mm-hmm. see the grainy photos some of that some historian you know the best thing that ted brings to the table is <laughs> is is the 
his historical yes. research. Absolutely, I mean? could not agree more. And, would, and other people yeah. out there who do similar historical research, right? Mm -hmm. So tapping into those soccer historians, tapping into your own club's archives, just piecing together, doing all that like archival work, mm -hmm. and then interviewing people who are still alive, and and bringing their face into it to tell that story because it's kind of like you know it exists, you see the date on the club, but you haven't really breathed life into that story on a consistent basis. So maybe rolling out like a multi-part YouTube short interview series with talking about the history. And then you take that history and you take, and you have the people working on your community outreach within that Croatian community. And then also marketing that history to the millennials and Gen Z general total population um, who are interested in that authenticity and, and that things like that, that even if they weren't part of it, they know that, oh, this is cool. This is something that existed. Um, this is something that we could rally around and then making, and then like using that history as a marketing tool to attract, you know, hipsters mm -hmm. would be like another angle that I would, I would use that. So, and then try to find out, all right, where are, where are these people hanging out? What are the social spaces that they occupy both online and you know, well, pre-pandemic in yep. the real world, right? right drinking. Yep. And and telling that story to them. That would be, those would be like two, just, just off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah, no, you go crazy. Like I said, I sprung it on you. Has Have any clubs ever had the gumption to ask you for consultancy? No, not too much because they, everybody, I think a lot of people, I'm not, I'm not part of the club uh, and I don't, I'm not part of the soccer like establishment, you know, and um, I'm antagonistic to a bit and uh, I don't need to because I have a good job. I make mm -hmm. plenty of money. Um, I always want to make more, but mm -hmm. you know, big picture. I mean, a lot of people would love to be in my position, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I'm yeah. grateful for that, but like, that's been both a blessing and a curse. I think is this idea that, that I don't need to play nice because I, because I don't, I don't have to, I don't depend on mm. clubs to pay me anything. This, I could stop doing soccer tomorrow and I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think though, the big picture, that's what gives me, you know, a more powerful voice because I don't have to acquiesce to some, the way that some wants to do soccer, the way that MLS wants to do yep. soccer. Like, I don't need it. I don't need a paycheck from it. I, if I'm going to make money out of soccer, I'm going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. or it's not going to happen. I, I don't know if you heard our last, most recent one with um, Jeremy over in, up in Wisconsin, 10K pitches, 10,000 pitches. I haven't. No, okay. So he is, he is kind of non-League America, Wisconsin, right? And he okay. might, might, might even be a valuable resource to you. Um, but he, so he is covering everything, you know, from Minnesota United through Minneapolis all the way down to 5K team, five, five aside pitches and everything. Um, why do you think there isn't more of that happening across the board? Like I, I came, I came from a non-league blogging society, right? The ground hopping thing that I know you're right. familiar with of just going around and I went to a random match and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Why aren't more people interested in what's happening citywide, statewide, countywide and telling us about it? I think they are. I mean, I think some of these, like if you look at the Twitter accounts, like Wisconsin, um, of Michigan Soccer Central, which mm -hmm. used to be Detroit Soccer Central and Michigan Soccer Central. That's like a big one. And there's a similar one in Wisconsin. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's the same person you're talking about, but um, I know there's another, and they all have like five, 6,000 followers and mm -hmm. they do everything from like high school through the amateur. And, and like, I think there is interest in that localized content. Well, then um, you kind of, and it's totally different pools of people than engage with like the non-league America or protagonist content too. Mm -hmm. Cause now you got all the like high school players and stuff like that. And I want to bring all those together into like the non-league America universe. All right. What do, what do soccer clubs do wrong right now? So many things, right? What are we, let's talk about us. Let's talk about the Calv. Bluntly, cold truths conversation. What are we doing wrong? I mean, you, well, you guys are doing so much right. And I'm not just trying to ball wash here, but like, 
you know, having these conversations with so many people, this, this podcast is something that you're really doing right. To back up a second, like, I like the real talk that you guys are having on the podcast that it doesn't really like from a local club's perspective, there's too many local clubs that have seen non-league America and seen that we grew to 10,000 followers and are trying to use approach Twitter as a marketing tool for their local club by non-league America in, you know what I'm saying? But that doesn't work because mm -hmm. your local club is responsibility is not the same as my responsibility to even in a better way to implement all the things that we talked about. Like this is, you know, for lack of a better word, a shitty but trying to be better national media platform. Mm -hmm. Your local club, the big mistakes I see local clubs doing are that you guys aren't doing is I know that flips your question to ask what you guys are doing <laughs> no, wrong. You but, said nice things about us. Let's, tr let's clubs, trust union. Let's trust your book now. Yeah, yeah, no, cool. but the majority of clubs are trying to non-league America their way to local relevance and think mm -hmm. that by appealing to the soccer Twitter community and getting retweets is going to do anything to put butts in seats in your town. And mm -hmm. that's not it. That's not going to happen. And no. you guys have talked enough about that on other episodes. You could direct people to specifically those episodes. But like my end game as a national media platform is not the same as your end game as a local club. No. But too many people are taking cues, whether they, whether they, you know, talk to me or not. Too many people are taking cues about what I'm doing right, of, of, or or what protagonist is doing right, and like that's not your game as a club. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing, that, the mistake that I see is, is people thinking that because they have 500 random soccer fans from around the country who are into the non-league soccer scene, that that's doing anything for their club. The only way that that does something for your club is if you have like to the start of our conversation, good merch and they're buying merch from you, which then you can pump into your club for local operations and, and things mm -hmm. to make the product better. That's really the only way that that but has yeah, even, a positive effect on your club. Even on that, You have I, to do that work locally. And it love, should be in person to your yeah. point, but even if it's digital, you can get digital, you can get local in your digital marketing. You have mm. the tools within these platforms to like push local ads, push local posts, restrict to very small geographic areas. Like that's the work that you should be doing and focusing on because um, that's what's ultimately going to benefit your club. It's not going to be engaging too much with the, the soccer community. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. Twitter, Twitter likes and retweets and follower numbers are just an ego. They're nothing, right? I would rather sell 10 jerseys in my zip code than 100 across a nation. Because right. there's, a there's a chance that people are going to walk down the high street in that sweat, in that jersey and be asked a question, and that's what I want. But if you, but if you, but it can benefit your club locally if you sell hundred across the nation, mm. because then you, that you gives you money to do things locally for your club. Absolutely. But it only works if you also have a specific local plan that mm. you're executing against. Yeah. And so that's where I see things break down for a lot of clubs. And to take the Providence City example, right? And, and they're best in class when it comes to national marketing and mm -hmm. selling 100 jerseys because they really do. That's so Where sweet. it breaks yeah. down for me and in, in, for them is I never see the fruit of that money put into a local plan that gets... 200 people out to that field to watch them. That's, yeah. that continues to be the problem, you know, and Motorik and I'm not trying to call people out, but I, I guess I am, but I'm not doing <laughs> it in a negative way, but I'm, I'm really, and I'm comfortable enough to mention these names, but like the Motorik collab with the, um, the plastics and the, the, the pink Jersey and stuff like that. No, it sold out. Like it did. These, these are good things. And I know they did that for charity, so they're not going to be able to take as much for the club to, to put out. But like ultimately, the point is, national revenue can help Ooh. fund local initiatives 
but you have to be well planned and most of your thought should be into executing those local initiatives to get butts in seats. I agree. You've got to be the show in town. We said time and time and time again, if people wanted a soccer club in their community, you would be the fourth soccer club in existence in your community because someone else would have done it before you. Yeah. So why? So clearly there isn't a market per se for soccer. So what is it you're going to do that's going to drag people out? And existing isn't enough and having 1,500 followers on Twitter isn't enough and having the best jerseys in 500 miles isn't enough. None of right. it's enough. It's, 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 it's bluntly, it's, no, nothing's it's, ever enough. But It's those in, in-person conversations. It's, it's groundwork. And, you mm. know, I've been really lucky to be involved with... Um, in a, in a volunteer way on the fan advisory council for Chicago NISA since the start. Yep. And so I've been in these, these meetings with, with Peter and, and night train and, and mm -hmm. the, um, the group over there with Chicago NISA and some fans and uh, local soccer people around Chicago. And these are the kind of conversations that, you know, we're having on a weekly basis. Um, but what Peter's done to, build clubs which is undeniable like peter wilt Ooh. has built multiple clubs he literally from the made a t-shirt yeah and and he's his philosophy is he has those a lot of in-person conversations he goes out and he's Boots in on the, the bars yep. he's at the fields and you know and some people like peter and some don't and it doesn't matter though because he, he's enough do and enough do because it's about those the groundwork. It's not Twitter. It's yeah. groundwork. And there then you no see shortcut. you see the the um, you know the moniker madness and the mm -hmm. the social media on top of it as a little icing on the cake. But it's all built on this foundation of like hard work. Yeah. And just too many people think that people are going to show up and they don't do the hard work. This shit has to be one by one hard work. Yeah, it's John saying of boots on the ground. It's wear out your shoe leather. It's glad hand people. It's going to every shop store on the high street and leaflet the shit out of people. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the Nisa thing. We've been going for an hour and a half, Steve. This is good going. No one's listening to this shit, right? They've already turned off. Um, without betraying confidences, what are Nisa doing to make this whole full circle? What are Nisa doing? to engage the non-white Chicago soccer loving public? I mean, it's, it's all in plans now. Okay. But, they are doing uh, it. Right? I, I, I can't. Okay. I, I can't. Right. But, but I, I will just say that all I'll say is that not enough people in place now in, in the organization as there should be, but there are some those that are are being listened to in a real way mm -hmm. and they are driving that conversation and everybody else is playing a respectful role and gaining where we fit in and and following experts and people yeah. in the community's lead and people are actively being reached out to that definitely otherwise would not be reached out to because the club is not interested in purely, this is where clubs lose it, is they're interested in purely transactional relationships. They want you to buy tickets. Mm -hmm. And if they don't think that you are going to buy a ticket or your group is going to buy a ticket, they're not going to have the conversations. And that's where the MLS ticketing, <laughs> you know, I got to, no, because I, I got to, I was on an interview once for the MLS uh, national sales office in Minnesota. Yeah, they yeah. had this this thing. They had this like boot camp for for ticket sales, you know. And they don't really they they don't give a fuck about branding or community or mm -hmm. club or any of that. It's like this is our sales ticket boot camp where you make three hundred calls a day and try to sell these fucking tickets. Mm -hmm. And that's not what Peter Wilt does. No. And that's never been his approach. And that's not what the Chicago Nisa's approach is going to be. It's going to be long-term mm -hmm. relationship building 
and just inviting as broad a swath of people in and like empowering those, the same kind of vision that I have for like non-league America is, is, is how he's successfully executed with more resources, the building of clubs is like, and finding out who's interested and, and who could be, and just like inviting people into conversations and getting, getting people involved, getting mm-hmm. all these people involved. And that's what they're doing. And so that's why I'm excited about it. Totally. I love that they reached out to you. If you when you stop recording, I'll I'll, I'll tell you some <laughs> some things. Press the red button for for added extras. I get you. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, Steve? I want to see unity. I want to well, and, and I don't mean kumbaya unity. I want to <laughs> see unification. I want mm-hmm. to see this forming of like Voltron of these independent leagues, which I think are going to be the lifeblood. I want to see consolidation. You know, this is this is what I preach on Twitter. Like when I get on Twitter, like this is what I want to see. I want to see the Midwest Premier League and the Ohio Valley Premier League find a mutually um, mutual operating standards and like feed into another league higher, uh, or and connect with the leagues below and do this type of thing that NISA is starting to facilitate. And because if it's not going to come through the the political party route that Mm -hmm. we talked about at the beginning, right? Then it's gonna have to come through naturally through just building this organization. And that's what NISA is trying to do, right? They're bringing these different regional leagues together and trying to piecemeal together like a a pro-rel system by localizing enough. So what I wanna see out of the Midwest Premier League is I want to see the same way the Midwest Premier League is going to have this affiliation with NISA that hopefully ends up down the road in a real pro rel, but even if now starts with the teams in the independent cup and, you know, the stuff that baby steps is fine, right? But we need to see the Midwest Premier League link with the, um, you know, Chicago leagues yeah. and and if we can't bridge the cultural divide to Colossa yet which I know is difficult right but the the next step it's always a build right so how can we how can we build in with the um what's it called the the large what's the largest I gotta check my uh, <laughs> notes but the the largest general market um a local amateur soccer league in the Chicago area. It's the um, PAS Chicago- Premier. Possibly, let's call it that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but build um, with those yeah. leagues. Yeah. Yes. What's the? And I would say the NSL Chicago is one that comes to mind, but they're really small and they're kind of they're very historic, but they only have like fourteen teams. But mm-hmm. like, there's that big one with like sixty some odd teams across four tiers that plays all through the suburbs yeah. and I don't stuff. Know what you mean. And we'll get, we'll get back on that, you know, mm-hmm. offline. But like, I want to see that affiliation. Let's see the city leagues affiliate with the regional leagues. Now we got something cooking, and if, and the regional leagues affiliate with each other, yeah, and and into this kind of common, so, all feeding up into Anissa. I'm I'm all for that, and it makes perfect sense. I guess my one concern, with speaking purely as a member of the Midwest, right, is how do we a regional league like the Midwest is. West, East yeah. and West. How do we ensure that that doesn't become a Chicago and Detroit league, which is already in danger of becoming? Because you, you're going to, you're going to have a defined territory. I want to see territories defined and then that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It, this can't be this, this is probably like, where this is what I was talking about with that tweet the other day about, you know, Ohio, Valley Premier League seems to be the fan map that somebody made about the Midwest Premier League has Ohio and Indiana in it, but there's yeah. like not really any teams there. Ohio Valley Premier League has a footprint in those states right now. Mm-hmm. So like I would want to see to end this kind of soccer wars and to get away from like the other people, the USL and what they do, like anybody anywhere. It's not about like, oh, I'm the only club in the city. Any number of people can can start a club limit. We want unlimited clubs in the city, but we want to define, all right, this league only covers these, these states. This is it. Mm-hmm. And then you work with the, the other 
independent leagues around and say, here, we're going to go into this partnership agreement and say that you got Indiana, you got Ohio. And I know people are saying, well, maybe, you know, parts of Indiana are really more in the Chicago area than they are. There's going to be a line somewhere. Though, right? Then we don't draw it exactly on state lines. Then yeah. draw it where you think it should be drawn. You know, if the suburbs of Chicago, the Northern Indiana get in with Chicago, then you work that out with the Ohio Valley Premier League yeah. and draw a border and say that, you know, have a, have a, a, a meeting and have a, a an agreement, you know, put it in paper and formalize it. Mm -hmm. This is the line. This is where it is. You got this, we got this, and we're going to build a structure of independent leagues in association with each other. They're going to draw clear borders and, and manage these territories. And they're going to drop down into city leagues. And we're going to try to consolidate all the city leagues that fall within our territory. And we're going to try to build them up. And that's the way it's going to be organic like that. And then ultimately that will become so powerful that all the other leagues that are trying to, you know, do similar things will have to affiliate or die, you know? Yeah, I do. I, the, the line's got to be drawn somewhere, right? Whether it's a state line or whether it's a river or whatever, you know, right. The, 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 let's, let's go back home for me, right? The English system has Swansea, has Wrexham, has Cardiff, has Newport AFC. Um, the Scottish system has Gretna. So it's, you're allowed to go over borders, right? It's the, the, the line is where you draw the line. The line is not where the man draws the line. So, um, right. but yeah, the, but equally, the line has to be somewhere. Um, line, yeah, lines have to be drawn. Yeah, you know? and if, if, it, if it turns out that next season, you know, we have to play in the Iowa State competition because of numbers, okay, it'll suck. We'll take our vaccinations, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, What's, what are you most positive about in non-league America right now? Just the continued interest in this space. Since I, when I started this as a blog, you know, in 2012, in January of 2012, like to where it is now, I couldn't even imagine that this shit was going to be as big as it is now back mm -hmm. then. Because like this was not, soccer was being played by the people that played soccer but that was it, you know, and nothing, there was nothing online about it. Yeah. There was no other, people weren't talking about the, the cosmopolitan league, you know, the cosmopolitan, and those, they're playing. I didn't yeah. do that. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to take credit for like, you know, their historical league been playing since 1923 or whatever, right. In, in New York, but like nobody online was talking about it except for the existence of the qualification of the open cup and like the cup.us. But there was no cultural like conversation about it. And I feel like I started that shit. Yep. I got these people came onto Twitter because I was on Twitter retweeting them, trying to get them to asking them to talk and trying to encourage this shit. So whether people want to, you know, I, I always tell people, and I know you've heard this, that, you know, my business role model, my visionary North Star is Master P, you know. And, and, but Master P always says serial entrepreneur, you know, Master P just started a car company, by the way, look that up. Um, <laughs> but it's real, you know, mm. and, but he says, uh, I started this bout about it shit, you know, and it, he did. So, yeah. so I have to toot my own horn a little bit and say that I started this non-league America shit, you know, mm. for better or worse. And if I stop doing it tomorrow, I still started this shit. Yeah. If I don't make another dime out of this shit, I started this shit. And you know, whether people wanna, people wanna give me credit or not, it doesn't matter because they know in their heart that I did. So um, it's not a, and, that, and I say that it's not about me. I'm not trying to make it about me. Yeah, I know what I'm just giving know you, just like the impeachment, like the impeachment trial, right? <laughs> like. The facts are the facts. Mm -hmm. Whether whether people who don't <laughs> want to believe the truth don't want to believe the truth, the truth is the truth. So I've, I think the historical I've just the record is there. I've got the title for this pod now. It's, it's going to be "Non-League America's Very Own Donald Trump." And then... What? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's just in conversation with Non-League America's Donald Trump. You want to be impeached, son? I uh, know. I, I absolutely get where you're coming from, um, and it makes you should be absolutely proud of what you're doing, what you've done, right? Like, but it's but it's but the energy's there, and that's why there's there's you know so many clubs and clubs keep coming, and like there's obviously a, a desire for it. It may not ever 
get to be as big as we all want, but it's much bigger than it was. And, yeah. the, and these clubs wouldn't be popping up if you're, to your point, you got to make people care about it. But 10 years ago, not enough people cared about it to, for them to care, for something, the club to pop up for people to say, you got to care about it. Yes, you know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. I think the, the big challenge is, is, to me, is the shift from player-driven to fan-driven. That's yes. out. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Um, all right, Steve, any closing thoughts after an hour and 45 minutes? <laughs> no, that's it. So much. Okay. I, I think, it occurred to me, I think one day I'm going to do this again with you, but I'm going to put it out to the Twitter sphere and say, any questions for Steve? And then I can just sit back and, you know, read shit out and you can go. But, um, Steve, you are an invaluable resource in this sphere of ours i am proud to know you i am delighted that you are taking giving yourself some kudos for what you've achieved i wish you would do more i wish you would get over yourself and be be the brand be the presence that you that you deserve to be with your drive and your passion um but on behalf of the rest of america that gives a shit thank you all right man speak to you later Come for leaving fear, now we shall return We were so glad we could make it But so sad we gotta run Well, it might be a long time Till we raise another glass You can rest assured that next time We'll have ourselves a laugh